Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC, here to talk about a frustrating 2-1 defeat at the Cottage, 2-1 to Aston Villa and if you believe the Fulham crowd, the referee as well. My name's Jack Collins and I'll be your host today. And joining me on the podcast, I'd like to say, it's Mr Dan Cook. How you doing, mate? I'm doing all right, JC. I'm doing all right. How you doing? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Not too bad. Calm down a little bit. Cam Ramsey, calm down a little bit, Cam. Yeah, man. I've got like three cups of coffee in me, so I'm ready to go. <laughs> Absolutely cooking this morning. And making a, well, I'd say long-awaited return to the podcast, Miss Isabel Barker. How you doing, Is? Oh, feeling a little bit flat, a bit blue this morning after the result, but great to be on. Now, it's good to have you back. Good to have you back. Let's get stuck into some three-word reviews, and then we'll take a look back at the game yesterday. Cookie, anything stand out? Yeah, I, went, I used a little bit of a little bit of both Twitter and Instagram uh, this morning because I had I had five minutes to spare, so I thought I'd really give the people what they want. When uh, there's a lot around the referee, as you would imagine. So we had Jakob Kruper and Fulham Traveller and others with villain in black and also Henry GTG with refs a villain. I uh, I quite like Neil Laws. He gave us Muniz for nothing, little Dire Straits oh, nice. reference there. With yeah. our, our, really nice, right? Getting his fourth in, in three games, but to no avail. Random Fulham stuff with, I imagine this is a Star Wars reference, but it goes way over my head, but I feel like it's good with Jedi to Sith referencing um, Anthony Robinson's slightly errant throw in that, that put us on the back foot early doors. Paintings gave us Villa Beats Cottage, which amongst all of like the anger and the furore, <laughs> quite a nice, calm, like Grand Designs-esque three-word review is really nice. And I, I really enjoyed that. So thank you. And finally, one of my favorites always, Richard Bamber just gave us Ref Shat Pants which I thought was good. <laughs> right. That's, uh, that's where we've got to. I think we can start with the ref and then we'll move on from it. It was Lewis Smith's first game as a Premier League referee cam. And I don't think there can be any doubt that it wasn't a particularly great performance. It just felt like he lost control of the game towards the end of it. And considering Fulham were the one trying to force a way back into the game, that worked against us just in terms of as those kind of situations carry out, play out. They're always going to be one team trying to hang on and, and kind of shut the game down and another trying to make it quicken up. And with an inexperienced ref, Villa were just able to guide that home a little bit. And you kind of add to that that Fulham were a little bit naive. Yeah, I mean, it's a massive, massive learning curve for Smith. Obviously, being 30 years of age, um, extremely green to the perils of what top flight football can obviously throw at you as a referee. Um, I think he fell for quite a lot of Villa's uh, late on play acting and gamesmanship, um, considering they make, you know, more or less a living themselves out of, uh, out of running that rule in the uh, closing stages when they've got something to hold on to. Um, but yeah, I, to put it bluntly, I personally thought his um, his debut with the notepad was, and, and the card was absolutely wank. Um, if you've got an opportunity here as a young, innovative referee to. You know, make a statement to the likes of Kavanagh, to the PGMOL, um, to, you know, Martin Glenn, that this is the way it should be done. I'm going to fly the flag for the new generation. 
I'm going to get out there. I'm going to stand my authority. I'm going to be, you know, impartial. I'm going to obviously try to calm things down as much as I possibly can do whilst letting the narrative and the flow of the game obviously take its course. But it proved in the final 10 minutes when things were heated up and fraught that he just couldn't cope. Um, and obviously, if he's fresh out of, a, you know, a refereeing school, wherever the bloody hell they go to, to learn how not to officiate, um, he's got a lot of work to do. And that's all it will be. It will just be an experience for him at our expense. We always seem to be a guinea pig for the PGMOL's, uh, you know, flawed experiments. Um, and it's just getting uh, it's getting to the point now where it's getting silly with um, the amount of uh, the amount of suspect um, decisions and adjudications which go against us. Um, he wasn't the reason why we lost the game, of course. Um, we quite literally threw it away, thanks, Anthony. Um, but he certainly contributed towards it. Um, obviously, when we're trying to build up head of steam, trying to find that late equaliser, five minutes of added time. And the statistic reads that the ball was in play for 57 seconds of that five minutes at a time. He blew the whistle, I think, on five minutes, 37 seconds. So you look at it and you go, well, he did add another you know, half a minute on and then some. But that's pathetic. Not when you've got players like John McGinn smiling on the ground, buying fouls as they always do. You've got DRB that took an ice age to put his football boot back on in front of the technical area, which is going to cause issues as well as going to get you know, right up people's noses, especially Biomortes and uh, Silvers. I just don't think he, um, I just I just don't think he handled it very well. And the only way that he could deal with it is by uh, obviously brandishing a load of yellow cards instead of having a stern word with the players, which I think was needed. And this is exactly where the whole um, pish posh bollocks of the blue card will have to come into play because uh, I think a few people, especially Fulham players, needed a bit of a timeout. Um, but no, I, I, I think... Um, it's not one to remember for him, but it will certainly be spoken about um, in no uncertain terms in blue language, ameliatively by um, by Glenn um, for, for the foreseeable. I mean, to me, it just seemed like he was a man that couldn't wait to get off that pitch. Um, he he completely stepped into an environment which he wasn't used to. Um, it's a game where, you know, in the Premier League, every point matters. It's not necessarily a game where we're fighting for Europe or relegation or, you know, it's too early to like that. Um, but every every point is important and he just couldn't wait to get off that pitch so he could nuzzle Martin Glenn's boobs um, and get, have his back have his back of his head stroke like a good little boy because he's nothing more than, you know, an, an officiating PGMOL fleshlight. Another one for them to pump and that's all it is. Camille vocabulary never never fails to astound me. Exceptional as ever. I mean, it's you've been to various grounds and, and seen various games across the course of the season. I don't think there's kind of any doubt that it wasn't a, a great performance. Villa were pretty up in arms about it as well. And I was having a look at a couple of forums and things just to kind of get a read on what, what they felt about it. And they spoke about the offside goal in the first half, Alex Moreno, where it looks like they seem to have got the wrong player from from VAR. Now that's not on the referee, but it's another officiating kind of thing to be thinking about. There's also the, the there was a penalty at either end that I think probably could have been given, um, considering there was very little attempt to play the ball. Um, I read this from you know one of the things that said the referees from the centre of the park to Stockley Park were totally unacceptable today. Fulham might feel hard done by. They all lost their lids once their manager started complaining non-stop for the last 25 minutes. We should have been three clear at that point. And someone else said it was the most professional running down of a five-minute 
uh, injury time that they'd ever seen. I think it's probably something to be said for the fact that Fulham do lose their heads here at the end. And Marco has spoken in the past about the fact that he has to be better at controlling his own emotions if he wants his players to control their emotions on the park. And again, we saw everyone exploding for the last 10, 15 minutes of this one yesterday. But can I just say, though, that Fulham were handed out five yellow cards after the 85th minute. So mm. there was just a, the Fulham side. So there was a reason for it. I think what he did from the beginning is he set the tone in making that kind of mistake of letting too many things go. Um, what I will say from the press box, though, is that there wasn't so we weren't quite getting the fan frustration as much because every, everything was replayed in front of us. And a few of the decisions that did make the cottage absolutely livid when you watch them back, I think it was like the Bobby penalty shout it he it did seem like he got the call right so for us we didn't there weren't necessarily those frustrations there from the offset um but then right at the end then I think Fulham were well in their rights to to be fuming and obviously you know Marco may have been agitated and on the touchdown and things like that, but I think he had every right to be. What he said was his frustrations was was about the extra time. He said he was the main thing for him was that the five minutes he was trying to discuss it with the fourth official. And at the end, he actually spoke to the ref as well about the five minutes. He was very calm after that. He said, you know, I spoke about it. I questioned it. He he gave his reasoning about it. And I've got no more comments to make. So I don't think it was, it was as bad as we've seen Marco before. Um, but I just think, as I said, I think we were in our rights to be pretty livid at the end. I'm just going to say, I think I do think that for a referee on debut, refereeing for a Villa side who are, you know, self-professed masters of the dark arts, like they've got players that, that know how to do this. Villa fans weren't surprised about how their team handled those last 10, 15 minutes and they loved it. And we would have loved it if it was Fulham. Like there's been periods when Fulham have gave, have managed games like that. And we were like, it's nice to see our team just be knobs for 15 minutes and see out a game. Cause like, that's what you want. Ultimately those three points are so valuable wherever you are. And so that's, that's tough on the, on, on the ref. And I think he fell for it and we fell for it. Like, I think both parties are at fault. You know, we should have known that was coming and by enabling it, by putting in stupid challenges in, in nothing positions on the pitch that help them waste more time going up in arms, like just focus on the bigger picture here. And I think it's, 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 it's frustrating with a team that's full of experienced heads that we didn't actually take a moment to be like, right, let's focus on the task in hand. The other thing I wanted to say is that I don't think it's necessarily a coincidence that we are quote unquote guinea pigs for new referees in the Premier League, because I'm certain that one of the things that goes into consideration is fan atmosphere as to where a referee refs their first ever Premier League game. You're not going to drop them in at an absolute cauldron because that's like the worst baptism of fire for a referee, isn't it? And I think that they might look at Craven Cottage as a potentially safer place for a referee to to get, have their first game because how bad's the crowd really going to turn if you compare it to to somewhere else in, in the Premier League? And I just, it, I don't think it's a coincidence that twice this season we've had debuts. Yeah, no, I, I think that's probably fair enough. Let's get to the game, shall we, and, and the action. And Cam, it was a bit of a funny first sort of 20 minutes or so where neither team really jumped into the ascendancy of this one. And actually, you come to the first goal, which was, as you say, thrown away by Anthony Robinson and Ollie Watkins picks it up and, and slots home. It did feel like at that point, there was not much between the sides and it was going to take something either excellent or stupid 
to open the scoring, it turned out it was the latter. Yeah, well, typically for Fulham, we're masters of our own downfall, aren't we? It always tends to work that way. I mean, Villa's second goal was very, very well worked. Yeah. And uh, you can applaud their, uh, the manoeuvre leading to that goal as well because it was dispatched excellently by an Ollie Watkins that's in form and, um, you know, is a natural-born finisher. But to the same token, if you give him an opportunity, which is basically laid on a plate with gift wrapping on top as well, everything you could possibly think of, glitter, stars, whatever... When he rolled the defender and he got himself in that, you know, that tiny little margin strike in striking position, there's only one outcome in that position there for, for us. And it was a foregone conclusion. He was going to find the back of the net. But you're right. I mean, I thought that Fulham gave as good as they got leading to that point. And actually, we were we were pressing for a goal ourselves. So it looked like we were trying to hold territory in their half. Um, obviously, we were, we were passing the ball um, from flank to flank, trying to stretch them as much as we possibly could do. And um, yeah, I thought we had a, a couple of good opportunities where you, you know Nunes running in behind and obviously putting Paul Torres and Longley to work. Um, it looked like there was uh, there was something in it for us, and if we had found the first goal, then it would have been a completely different game. It always is, um, but it's just completely typical that when we needed to have our head switched on at the back, um, we tend to just fall to pieces. And it's just it's rule one at one oh one for me. It's it's a fundamental basic. You don't play stupid flat balls across your eighteen, especially when opposition's in close contention and they're physically trying to you know box you in and hound and you know rob, rob you possession. They did. Um, it's just something you don't do. You taught that from an early age, but obviously Robinson missed that um, missed that training session back in the day. Um, it's just a shame, really, um, because you look at the way that the, the rest of the game panned out. We, we retaliated. There was a reaction after going 2-0 down. Um, if that second Watkins goal had obviously been the first of the game and we found a way back into the tie to obviously secure a point, that would go down as an excellent result and we'd be having a completely different conversation here. But there just didn't really seem to be much organisation at that point. And I don't actually think that um, we knew how to handle it either. I mean, I, I personally would have pumped up the line if I was Robinson. And obviously, from there, you just squeeze the team up. I don't know why he's trying to play Wilson, I mean, William, beg your pardon, into one of the most awkward positions you possibly can do on the edge of your penalty area, especially as a player that has probably never really even been there, to be quite honest with you. It was just a recipe for disaster, and uh, we chowed down on that, sadly. And uh, obviously, I think there's going to be a little bit of work happening on Motsburg Park now where it says, if you go up throwing, please don't play it across your 18-yard box to literally nobody. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Ollie Watkins just sniffing around Mosper Park, but like, any chance you'd throw me the ball, lads? Um, it seems to be the, the way forward, apparently. I, I thought is there wasn't loads between these two sides, which, considering that Villa are, you know, still in top four contention and definitely within European contention, whether that be Champions League, Europa League, or Conference League, I think that's probably a nice indication of where Fulham can be on their day. Now, it wasn't a full strength. Villa side probably wasn't quite. A full strength Fulham side either, just a couple of couple of players missing from the bench. But I think that's probably a sensible place to be like, okay, we are in the same leagues as a side like Villa. That's an that's an okay place for us to be at this point in the season. Yeah, exactly. This is a Villa side that, like you say, obviously, maybe it was our time to strike in the sense of obviously they had the injuries. They got three ACLs, I think, and obviously Diego limped off in in training on Thursday. So maybe it kind of was an opportunity for us. But at the same time, like you say, this is a Villa side that have taken European football in their stride, unlike, you know, Newcastle and Brighton, where they got so hampered with injuries, it's really affected their league form. Like Villa haven't so much and, and they've kind of been building despite 
a massive injury crisis. Um, I think, yeah, like you say, it was a good measure. It's not particularly like a, a, a really bleak mood following that. I think we we slightly only really had ourselves to blame. I think Marco said in the press conference, we, we punched ourselves. And I think that was kind of a weird mangled good description of, of what we did, to be honest. Um, yeah, only sort of really had ourselves to blame and, and just that that moment of, of gifting them a goal, I guess, was was the difference. And, and that first goal was was the kind of the difference maker. But um, yeah, a pretty good measure for us, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, Cookie, Pau Torres back for Villa and the difference that they're able to play for out from the back when he's there and when he's not is, is huge. And you know, we're talking about a team that have pushed all season, you know, at the very top of the table and have dropped off a little bit fine, but those injuries have started to play. I think that when you kind of accept that it's not going to always be perfect against the bigger teams. Fulham created enough to probably push for a, a point yesterday. And, and the Adama Traore chance late on is one that will haunt us for a little while. Uh, I did see some Villa fans being like, oh, it's good to see he hasn't changed whatsoever since his Villa days, missing a big chance towards the end. But it is nice to see Fulham being able to kind of make these rotations, players coming in. I thought Wilson was good when he came on. Adama is... Adama. He's going to do the things that Adama does. He is great when you put him in behind and he gets to run in behind. He's less good when it comes to points like actually getting the ball to feet and making things happen. But it means that Fulham's weaponry is starting to expand. It was a bit annoying that Breuer was called ill for this one. But generally, like the attacking weapons and the ability to bring on different players in different areas does put us in a nice position to be like, okay, we can try different things for the rest of the season. Definitely, definitely. And my take on the Triore chance, the way I see it, is that he is the only player in this squad who had got on the end of that pass and broken through that defence and the last player in that forward line that I wanted to be on the end of that chance. It's like one of those, what do you do? I, I thought yeah. I, it is a real catch-22. He gets the chances that no one else gets, but he doesn't bury them. But I, I actually, I, I thought he played pretty well when he came on. I thought all of Silver's subs actually did work, which was nice to see because we've spent the past two months with subs that are being thrown on by default because they're the only players who are sat on the bench and you've got to bring someone on. Whereas actually yesterday there was like a calculated, this is how we're going to try and change the game. And it really worked. Harry Wilson is pretty much always lively when he comes off the bench. And a lot of people will be asking why he's not starting games. But there is also the thing that he is such a game changer when he comes on because he just gives you something different. And so it was, yeah, it was, it was really nice to see that. And I thought it worked pretty well. I still think that we need to get better at at creating clear cut chances. And again, that's difficult against, you know, a Villa side that are, are difficult to, to break down. But a lot of the time that formula of work it out wide, try and engineer the perfect crossing opportunity, perfect crossing opportunity doesn't come. So you put it into the box towards one man against two centre-backs. Like it's, it's really tricky. But I thought Rodrigo Muniz yesterday looked like a legitimate, again, a legitimate centre-forward. Like it, and it's not about necessarily the scoring of the goals. It's, it's, it was just his general play. Some of the runs he made, some of the hold-up play, some of the flick-ons. I, I was genuinely really impressed by how competent he looked and it, that sounds like a slight but it's not he just looked like a Premier League striker and that's a wonderful thing because it's it's we've come a long way since he didn't look like a championship striker to looking like a Premier League striker he, he made it difficult for that that centre-back pairing and his finish was brilliant that's the second time second goal in in two weeks where it was like instinctive centre-forward play as well 
No, this wasn't, I, I've never seen him as, as like a instinctive poacher. I've never seen that in his locker, but he scored two goals in the past two weeks where he has got in front of a defender and a, and a goalkeeper, won that little battle, got his toe on the end of it and prodded it in. And having a striker like that now as an option is huge. And I, I hope it continues. And I think you guys said it on the Thursday club that if we have to pay £4 million to give us a firing Rodrigo Muniz and leave Breuer on the bench, I'm all for it. So be it. It's yeah, a good thing. So be it. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I mean, takes us nicely on to the new R9, as he's been called on the terraces, Cam. He had an excellent game. Um, another one. There are still, again, flaws. There are still some moments where you're like, okay, just a little bit of rounding off the edges here and we've got something quite special. But as Dan points out, the instinctive nature of that finish but also the pace to get into the box and actually catch up with Anthony Robinson and get into that place to make it a scoring opportunity is something we haven't seen for a little while. It really is some kind of a moment where you're thinking about it and going, okay, there is the raw materials really are all here. Yeah. I mean, like many, many, many others out there, his Southern up term in form has been sensational and we've all scoffed down humble pie recently. I personally think, obviously, since January transfer window ended, he didn't really know what was happening um, during that time, either, especially in the early couple of weeks. Was he going to stay? Was he going to go? It's a tot-up between he and Carlos Vinicius, obviously, to uh, head out through the through the exit door. There's obviously been some frank discussions recently between himself, um, Marcus Silva, the coaching staff, and he's got a good, good, good group of people around him as well that um, have obviously taken him under the wing and put an arm around the shoulder and uh, have just made him realise his his core potential. Um, I personally thought after Boxing Day's performance, obviously at Bournemouth, that he was a striker that was very much out of his depth. And I don't, I didn't think that he was going to be anywhere near a Premier League squad after January. But it just goes to show what a little bit of positivity and confidence instilled into in, into a young man can do. Um, He's been sensational. It's been a revelation recently. And yeah, I, I think his poise, his composure, um, timing in front of the target, um, you know, that is tailor-made for the Premier League. And he's obviously done a lot, a lot of work on the training field. Um, nothing was a lost cause um, yesterday, even if it was a long raking ball over the top. And it was running out of play. It was fairly innocuous, but he'd still put the defenders to work. He didn't give them an easy moment yesterday. And um, his goal's testament to that because obviously, uh, I believe it was Longerlay and Martinez, they didn't sense danger at all. Uh, Robinson, uh, typical cross into the box. It was a bit hopeful. Um, you'd, you'd expect Marti Martinez to obviously gather that without an issue. but To be fair, it has to be hopeful, Cam. He barely got to it. <laughs> yeah, well... Along, you know, from from Munito, from where, from where he was drifting off, drifting off the defenders, and uh, was ghosting into that position. But it was it was full full intent from him, and it's so nice to see. Um, and yeah, I completely agree. If we have to obviously cough up a couple of million quid um, in order to actually develop one of our own players, then why wouldn't you? Um, it's an investment that we've made. It's been a long time coming. Marco Silva quite obviously sees a very, very good player in him. As you rightly say, there's still a, a few factors of his personal game to iron out. But at 22 years of age, if he can continue on the right trajectory he's at the moment, I, I, I see no reason why he can't be a very, very competent Premier League striker, which can hit double figures in a couple of years' time. 
Um, it's maybe a bit too early to say it's a purple patch for him, um, which we're all enjoying. There's nothing better than seeing a striker play with a massive grin on their face like a Cheshire cat out there. Um, it, 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 it just breeds pro- problems for defenders when a striker is uh, at the top of their game and absolutely loving life. Um, so long may it continue. I completely retract everything I've ever said about Muniz. For now, <laughs> there's going to be times where there's going to be times where he's going to completely go off the boil, and we're going to be back to square one again, where we're all on Twitter, we're trolling through, and we're writing our articles and doing whatever we can do. And you're just looking at subjectiveness of the game, and he's going to be dog shit. But at the moment, he has completely changed my opinion, and I hope it stays that way because. Uh, because I, I, I don't want to say anything bad about him again because he's obviously just such a good kid that's trying his absolute hardest out there. And uh, that's all we can yeah. ask for. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, is it, Cam said it in terms of, yeah, he's, he's, he's feeling himself at the moment, which is obviously nice. Um, but also that amount of coaching and development that must have gone on behind the scenes to turn what was a very, very rough diamond into someone who now looks comfortable within a pitch of very, very good footballers. And, you know, as, as you kind of look at it, Longley, OK, isn't Villa's well first choice, second choice, third choice or probably fourth choice centre back. And there's a reason that he's dropped down the pecking order. But Pau Torres has had a phenomenal campaign. And, and I thought that Munoz gave him a, a real good run around, at least when Fulham did have the ball. I think it's the credit has to be given to sort of that Brazilian contingent and and the, the his surroundings at, at Mottsburg Park. I mean, having spoken to a lot of players, they all they always say that there's kind of like and ex players as well that are still in touch with the club. They always say this sort of Marco's brought this feel good factor back, like similar to the days of Hodgson and things like that. But you can just tell how Willian has become virtually a family member to him. Like there was a moment on the pitch yesterday, um, on Saturday, and um, Willian just sort of. They looked at each other and he just urged him to get at Martinez to go put pressure on him. Like, like he was still sort of looking at Willian for this reassurance, <laughs> this advice. And um, it was really sweet. And you could just sort of tell how much he looks up to him and, and how his guidance is so important to him. And I think that has really brought the best out of him. And I think he just feels really comfortable. He feels at home. That's the kind of vibe I'm getting from talking be- to people behind the scenes. Um, there is that family feel and and that's brought the best out of him. It's it's no surprise. I think we'd all be the same. Like If you felt really kind of out of place, you're not going to be feeling confident and, and the best is going to be uh, got out of you but he, he certainly feels that in Motsburg Park at the minute yeah I mean there was a moment cookie yesterday where in a moment of frustration with a lack of pressing from Mooney's and Pereira I was uh, on Martinez I, I stood up and was like call yourself Brazilians he's Argentine get stuck into him um but uh, I think bringing <laughs> geopolitical concentrations into uh into the cottage yesterday was maybe not my strongest point um I did want to just touch before we end this first part Dan on the return of Bassi and Awobi and I thought they both made a really positive impact uh Awobi in particular started out on the left moved into the center and um, was at the heart of everything good for Fulham once he got onto the pitch yeah it's it's so nice, so nice to have him back. I'm such a, a huge Alex Awobi fan, and just the way he plays, I don't, this, there is something awkward about him in terms of like his movement and his control. But he's just, I want to say, a smart footballer, but also an, he is instinctive. Like it's not that necessarily he seems like he takes time to think about the, what's the right option. He just knows how to try and create things, what spaces to pick up, and I, I think he brings us something really important in this team and it, the, the fact that he can play anywhere across that three in behind the striker as well is fantastic because 
he comes on and it allows you to make other substitutions around that, which mean that Harry Wilson can come on and he can go out wide. That's fine. I'll drop into the middle. I'll try or come on. I'll shift back out again. Like that, that flexibility that it gives us. And I think it also, that rotation you get, I think sometimes Pereira yeah. can just be a bit static in terms of he picks up just one section of that pitch. He picks up that central section through the pitch and you get a bit one dimensional. Whereas suddenly when you get Alex Wobie on, his ability to drift out into wide spaces, pair that up with Harry Wilson, who likes to drift inside, it's a really nice pairing. And I think it also creates that space for Anthony Robinson to get down the left flank. So just that movement, I think that's where Fulham are lacking. And I think that's where those chances that we're trying to create will start to come from more is if we just are a bit more fluid in the way that we build up. Like I thought Villa were were good at it at times yesterday. And although they didn't create a huge amount of chances, they cause us problems with wingers tucking inside, allowing space for, for particularly Moreno, those times when off the left flank, Ramsey would drift inside, pick up that space in between the centre-back and the full-back, which really opens up space for a marauding fullback. I think Fulham can sometimes stifle Anthony Robinson and Castagna's ability to get out wide because we are so wide. But as soon as you bring a Wobie into that, he just drags players about and he creates spaces. And I, I, that's what I, I love about him. And then Calvin Bassey, I, I think he is one of our two best centre-backs, I think. And now I, I understand why he couldn't start yesterday because... Yeah just come out of an international tournament you know he'll be you talk about the mental side of it the physical side knackered in both aspects but i think from now on he's just he's just got to be in there he gives us something that we don't have as a, as another center back option and unfortunately i think our actually our best center back pairing was on the bench yesterday that's what i think is our our best pairing and there are reasons for that and i totally get it and, you know, it's not always as simple as play your best 11 players because football isn't that easy. But I thought Diop, where again, 99% of his game was 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 totally good and fine yesterday. And then he gets spun on the halfway line by Ollie Watkins and it's 2-0. And it's just those little costly moments yeah. that I feel like Issa Diop always has in him. Yeah, I, I don't think we see the second goal if Calvin Bass is on the pitch. I, it's just, it's a wonderful play, as Cam mentioned earlier, and it's a lovely move. But I just don't think Ollie Watkins gets free in that kind of manner if Bassey's tracking him rather than Raymond. And that's no slight because it's a good, it's, it shouldn't take away from the fact that it's a good goal, right? And, and I think that's important to remember. But I just think that his ability to read the game and also to get back in behind with that pace just means that doesn't happen. Um, but we'll probably leave it there for part one. We'll be back in part two to discuss a couple of other bits like Joao's suspension, answer some questions, and of course, round this episode off. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast and a big thank you to NordVPN for sponsoring this episode of Fulhamish. You can use NordVPN to watch football matches or TV shows which aren't available in your region, protect yourself online and benefit from cheaper prices for things such as flights. How do you think I spend so much time going out to Portugal? You can use one account on up to six devices and you can try it for 30 days commitment free thanks to Nord's 30 day money back guarantee. And right now, Fulhamish listeners can get a discount and four free months by going to nordvpn.com forward slash Fulhamish. Plus, if you're in the UK, USA, Australia or Canada, you can get an Uber Eats voucher when you sign up using that link. So for that great rate, four free months plus an Uber Eats voucher in participating countries, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Fulhamish. Right, talking of Portugal, 
Joao Polinia has picked up 10 yellow cards in news that will shock absolutely nobody. His yellow card yesterday was the most vintage JP yellow card I think I've ever seen. Just completely and utterly taking someone out after Mooney's had been put in a headlock for a little while and, and ending up on the wrong side of that decision. But it does mean he's going to miss our next two games. We've got a couple of questions on this. We're going to start with this from Rick Cardis. He says, now that Joao's been banned for two matches... Who should replace him? I don't think Lukic is the answer. Reed could be. I'd actually like to see Bassi play CDM. Your thoughts? Uh, would you reckon, Cam? I'm, I'm not completely convinced on the Bassi at CDM shout. No, I, I, I'm not either. I just got back into the squad and quite obviously he's an absolute monster at left centre-back. So I don't know why we want to tinker with it again. Um, in that respect, I don't think Tim Reed... Um, I, I, despite what I said a couple of weeks ago, it's quite obviously he hasn't necessarily got legs anymore to keep up with the actual pace of the game, um, despite the fact he reads it very well. So no, leave Bassi where he is. I think there's only really one option, um, and that is Harrison Reid. Uh, Sasha Lukic doesn't have the experience that Xiaopelinia does, and the only person that can possibly keep up with his work rate is, of course, Harrison Reid. Hopefully not in the same kind of swashbuckling manner. We need uh, Harrison Reid to be available for at least for the next two games. So uh, just cover the ground and make it difficult for the opposition to break for us centrally. But, um, but yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame, Chalpilini has obviously uh, picked up his 10th yellow. It was inevitable. Um, you could see it coming a mile off. Um, and actually, I just wish he broke John McGinn's legs and sent him into orbit. If he was going to get himself uh, um, banned for a couple of games, at least make it worthwhile. Um, see how that little prick smiles when he's reeling around on the floor with uh, two dangling limbs. Um, but yeah, Harrison I was trying Reed. to avoid John McGinn topics because so, I knew that Cam was going to go absolutely off one one, but he's managed to squeeze it in somehow anyway. <laughs> I'm done now on that. I don't want to. I don't want to spend my time um, talking about that uh, hunchback little shit. Um, so we will carry on, won't we? So yeah, for me, it's Harrison Reed. All right, Harrison Reed, not Sasha Lukic. We don't have a wealth of centre midfielders that we could possibly choose from that's going to fill the void that Jao Palinian, you know, is ultimately leaving. So Harrison. Read. Yes, John McGinn would have been a good cover for JP here and in many ways, someone I've always wanted to see at, at Craven Cottage. Um, I think Cam might have, might have ruined that one in case he listens at any point in the future. Is is the answer really? For me, the replacement would be Reed. I think it's the most natural replacement. I think it's in terms of their, him and Polini are absolute grafters on the pitch, aren't they? It's like Cam mentioned, it's covering that ground. It's that work rate. I think Lukic for me, no way. I think if anything, he's probably going to be out the door in the summer anyway is the feeling I get so I, I, I don't even know if he's going to be with, with the club at the end of the season so I don't, I don't think he's going to fit in fill that massive void that will be left when Jalpalini is suspended um, Bassi also that seems it seems a bit unnatural for me and, and I think Reed is as I said the natural replacement there in terms of that just stylistically and, and what they offer is probably the most similar to Polinia although you can never really fully replace him can you? No, he is irreplaceable in many ways. This would have been a good time to have Andre Dan. Um, was the uh, was was my immediate thought when he when he got we got the two game ban. Um, I did originally, and at the start of the season, I can understand where Rick's coming from because when we were talking about could you replace what Tim Reams brought to the side in terms of his guidance and that just ability to to lead the back line, we were concerned about where that left Bassi and if our two best centre backs were actually both left footed. And playing him in defensive midfield was something mooted, and I can understand it. But now I think with what he's brought and as having established himself as, I think, first choice left centre-back, 
that conversation is probably a very different one to one we were having in August. It is. And I think everyone's focus, and, and it's because it's such an obvious thing on, on Polina's game is his out of possession ability, right? It's like the way that he crunches into tackles, that he senses danger, the, the ground he covers. But that's only half of his role. And it's, it's such a massive part of his game. But the other half is that metronome-like ticking over of dropping in deep, linking up with the two centre-backs and just trying to move the ball about a bit. And in that position, that's that's a real specific thing. Like There, there are certain players who are just fantastic at being able to to just help move the game along from the the base of midfield. And, you know, we've had some players at it who have been great over, you know, the past few years. You think before Polina, we had Seri doing that and that, that ability to just try and dictate the tempo from deep is super important. And I don't see Calvin Bassey as someone who can do that. I don't see him as the person who can link up the play. And so that's obviously the, the out of possession stuff. Harrison Reed is absolutely the, the closest resemblance to Polina. And I don't necessarily believe that this means that Lukic should play, but Lukic is probably the closest in terms of the in-possession stuff. That's what Sasha's actually quite good at. And we've seen it a few times this season. I'm thinking Arsenal away, yeah. he was quite good at it. That that recycling of possession, moving it about, it's a big important part of what we do is that that deep build-up. And, and Sasha's probably the best at it, but the problem is his out-of-possession stuff isn't there. And so that's that really tricky balance is we're trying to fill two roles that Polina carries out, his out of possession, his in possession, but we've only got players that do 50% of those. And that makes it really difficult. And it's 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 still silly that we, you know, we're now in February and we haven't thought that maybe, just maybe we need like a backup defensive midfielder. <laughs> like we've got like, we've got, we've got number eights coming out of our arseholes and we don't have a number six. Like <laughs> it's, it's true. It's true. Oh, look, the next two games are obviously United away and, and Brighton at home. Is there an argument to suggest that, at least in the United away game, that both Reed and Lukic play to try and shore up the base of that midfield and, and actually just allow a number 10 to, to thrive ahead of it? And maybe that is TC playing further forward, which then kind of tucks you into a little bit more of a, a cohesive midfield three? Yeah, yeah. I think, and I think that's what we've seen before. And, and I, I, I absolutely wouldn't mind it. I think, to be honest, my preference, I think, is that you let... And this, I mean, this is obviously there's the downside system that open it up, but I think that Harrison Reed, you let do his marauding box to box, all action, Duracell bunny work, not don't sit him at the base of midfield because I don't think he's that player, and you let TC take on the mantle of rotating play from deep, and now that does leave us exposed, but you've just got to bank on the fact that Harrison Reed's going to cover enough ground to to work against it because I just. As much as I really try and like Sasha Lukic, I just don't think he's built for Premier League transition-based football. I just don't think it works. And I, I actually, in possession, he's really quite nice and he's quite nice to watch, but it, I can't ignore his his lack of pace and his inability out of possession. And then ahead of that, you still keep your dynamism. You pick a, you, Andres Pereira, Alex Awobi, someone in the 10 that, that adds a little bit of drive to you. Yeah, well, I mean, actually, that's a nice little segue because we've got a couple of questions on this. BCB Cook says, has Pereira passed his best? Cam, he says, not the same since his ankle injury at the end of last season. And Luke Bowshaw said, Pereira, thoughts on what he brings to the team? Well, I don't think he's passed his best. Um, I certainly don't think he's hit the heights of what he should do. But um, again, I, I still think there's a, you know, there's an element of him trying to get himself back into a, a confident state of mind as well. 
although he's had his injury problems recently, he's had to shrug off. And uh, mentally, that can also take its toll on the player. Um, and there's no time frame on it either. Um, you can't just snap out of it every, you know, oh, suddenly I'm better and I'm going to start switching our 10 out of 10 performances. Um, but yeah, I do agree. I, I think sometimes he's a, a tiny bit linear with his play. Um, against Federer, he did drop deep um, during the first half to try and retrieve possession and obviously build from the back and just be an extra an extra um, playmaker from deep just to obviously aid things moving forward. Um, but you need him in behind. You need him just literally within 10 yards of the striker just so they can play off each other. And we don't see that enough. Um, the link-up play um, and obviously the interactions that he had with um, Munisper, they were few and far between. And I think we could benefit from that um, obviously centrally, but um, I do think sometimes he 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 he's in he's inactive when he needs to obviously get himself involved a lot more, and he doesn't necessarily uh, he doesn't set the tone, he doesn't necessarily set the pace for us moving forward. But I don't think he's I don't think he's past it. Um, I, I I love what he brings to the side in terms of his uh, you know his crossing and uh, um, set pieces. They didn't necessarily work out and particularly well yesterday, but he has got a very very good uh, a very very good swing on him. Um, so in that respect, uh, he's a, he's an asset. He's an asset there. Um, but no, I, I think in terms of being a you know a hard hitting, energized number ten, which he should be, he isn't that guy. Maybe he is going to develop into a deeper player, you know, a deeper lying player. He doesn't necessarily have to cover too much ground going forward. He can just pick the ball up and play those simple ten yard passes to keep things ticking over. But that's yet to be seen because we don't necessarily have too many options in behind strikers other than himself and the Wobi. So you're going to need that rotation there. And I think that's um, that's where he's going to be for the rest of the season, of course. But but no, I of course, we, we can all sit there and say I'm disappointed with his output. Um, I don't necessarily feel that he's, um, you know, he's hitting the, hitting the record and tight. So he should do as an ex-Man United player that should be, a, should be churning out double figures in both respects with assists and goals. But... Um, he's also playing with uh, with a team which has chopped and changed quite a lot, and that ultimately changes the uh, you know the the style of play as well. And he's he's, he's got to try and adapt in game sometimes. Um, it's hard to put a finger on it, but I don't think he's past it. But yeah, certainly not overly impressed with him. I don't know if you saw it this way, JC, but I thought yesterday, and, and again, and I thought for like ninety five percent of the game, maybe not quite that much, maybe ninety percent that that Andreas was ineffective, and also to the point of like negatively contributing against us in possession. And there was a moment in the first half which I thought summed him up so incredibly well was that he fought really hard. He nicked it in the middle of the park and he went to play a very simple straight through ball to Rodrigo Muniz and fluffed it completely. And you're like, you've done all of the hard work and the literally the thing that you're meant to be best at, you fluffed. But then the other 10%, I thought he was one of our most influential players. Like, <laughs> like just the number of times that you, you look at like the chances we've created and one of the key players involved is Pereira. And so I think it's it's really difficult because you sort of almost have to work out whether that 90% is is worth it for the 10% that he provides at the moment. And it's that that's tricky because I actually thought there were times when I, I saw something happen. I'm like, oh, actually, Andreas, you know what? That, that was, I, I liked that a lot. That that ball you put in there, perfect. That that run you've made, brilliant. And so it's, I, I find him such a difficult player to evaluate because he frustrates me so much but also it's hard to deny that he is constantly involved in our attacking play. And some people might say that's just by the the, the fact that he plays in number 10. So he's going to always be involved. But I don't think that's necessarily the case. And the number 10 is such a 
a disappearing position in modern day football. Like people have spoken about it and it's actually so easy for a number 10 nowadays to be completely invisible for, for 90 minutes of football because they're just not, they're not in that system. And, and Marco Silva is, is unusual in, in his sticking to having that as a position. Cause I think a lot of teams have seen that 10 drift deeper and, and shift into a more hybrid role. Whereas Marco is still holding on to that number 10 role. And so it, it's a really tricky one. I still think I'd like to see Iwobi get a, a run at it because I just really like Alex Iwobi, but also I would be happy with him playing anywhere from 8, 10 or on the wing because I just think he makes us better when he's on the pitch. Yeah, agreed. I, I think it's an interesting one because you look at the actual output as kind of Cam alluded to, it's what, two assists in 14 games in all competitions, which isn't particularly great for someone who is meant to be the creative hub in the in the, in the attacking third. But equally, sometimes I watch him and there's a moment, I think yesterday, where it's a pass it's out to Bobby Reed or uh, Adama Trara. I can't remember exactly what point in the game it was, but it was out to the right winger. And the pass is so crisp and into feet. And it's like, there are so many players who, when you play that pass, it has to be checked back or the player ends up going back on themselves or slowing the run. And it was the perfect weighted ball. And look, there are obviously mistakes. I'm not suggesting he does that every time. But in terms of his distribution wide, I think the Pereira is the best that we have in terms of allowing players to run onto things from deeper areas. And that's what you change if you put in someone like Awobi because Awobi doesn't do that. He's more likely to hang onto the ball. Look, that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It's different styles. But he's more likely to try and shift the player and get a shot away. And, and maybe that would mean that the output goes up, but actually other chances of higher quality, I don't know. And so it, it, it kind of leaves you in a dichotomy is in terms of they're very different number 10s, and yet there's probably a space for both of them in this system going forward. Did you ever watch that BBC CBB show called The Sub, like Trapped? And there was like a saboteur in the side. But and they yeah. do a really good job of like being amazing. And then just at the last minute, they they like sabotage the whole thing. Jack, you look a bit lost. Stay, stay, stay with I'll, I'll bear with you. I, I think I know where you're going. <laughs> OG show. I yeah. mean, yeah. Like, so they're really amazing. They do all of this amazing work. And then just at the last hurdle, like they they kind of sabotage something and, and it just kind of falls short and I feel like I slightly felt that with with Pereira um feel like that with Pereira but I just think he also is being overshadowed by the the totally deserved hype of Iwobi um and you see when Iwobi comes on the pitch he just injects this oomph and this and this creativity and he's just making it sounds basic but he's just making a nuisance of himself he's charging up and down the pitch you can't not notice him and then Pereira just seems like a little quiet mouse compared to that and I think it, sadly you know with with Wobi's rise I think kind of it is overshadowing Pereira a bit but I can't say I'm mad about it I I, I would hope that the, the kind of healthy competition will, will maybe bring the best out of him maybe it's something he needs because do you remember when he signed and he played he started and there was no the, he started a ridiculous amount of games there was no chance of him ever kind of losing his place Marco does have a he has a lot of credit with Marco so maybe kind of having that competition will will maybe bring the best out of him because the stats are pretty damning and and maybe it's written in the stars for him to produce a better performance against United his old side. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's always worth bearing that one in mind. He's going to be desperate to to make a good mark there. Um, just a couple of other questions before we move on. Um, Lewis Stevens said, "Cam, when is it time to drop Robinson?" Which seems harsh. Um, this isn't the first and the only question about dropping Anthony Robinson. 
And yes, obviously the throw in yesterday is incredibly frustrating. He also is the man that creates the goal. He's also incredibly integral to the way that Fulham build up down the left-hand side. And whilst Fodor Balatore has shown some nice moments in the cameos that we've seen from him and, you know, the occasional start in the Cups, I don't think there's anything to suggest that Robinson is in danger of losing his place after one error. It's all part and parcel of Anthony Robinson, really, isn't it? He's a... He's not a 100% gleaming player. Um, he obviously has those uh, those moments where he has a little bit of a brain fart and it certainly came to the fore yesterday. Um, but dropping him, I think, is a bit extreme. Um, I've always stressed that I'd like to see more of a Balotore because I think progressively and offensively, he could he could definitely do the work that Robinson does. Um, the thing is with uh, Balotore. I don't think anyone's really seen too much of him at all in the last couple of uh, couple of seasons. Uh, especially at Milan, he was uh, used very, very sparingly. Yeah. Um, and he's quite hard to dislodge to Teo. To be fair, he, well, yeah, exactly. Um, I've always said Balotore could potentially play higher up anyway. Um, but we like to use that wing back system, especially with Robinson, because he just does it so well. There's a reason why he's been banded about as a fifty million pound player. Um, I still think there's a hell of a lot of improvement, um, you know, room to improve in terms of his personal game. But um, I'm not going to hold. I'm not going to hold it over Robinson. It's a stupid, stupid decision to play that throwing across the eighteen yard box. We've already discussed that. But you can't subsidise or substitute his um, his intent going forwards. Um, even if he doesn't necessarily have an amazing final product, he's still definitely somebody. Um, he's still definitely somebody that makes things uh, makes things difficult for fullbacks. Um, so no, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Poss- I wouldn't. Wouldn't drop him at all. I don't think there's any sense in that. Um, purely because he offers so much drive and uh, you know uh, directness into our into our offensive play, and uh, I, I don't necessarily feel throwing Balotelli into the mix is going to. Uh, going to remedy that okay all right last question uh, one each here for is and dan is i'm going to go with this for you jay paris says is willian the greatest talent we've seen at the cottage in the premier league era pound for pound he just doesn't stop being a baller does he um no. i absolutely love the man um every game i'm just like he just he just hasn't lost it um just it's just so simplistic, but he just does so much. And as I said earlier, that kind of moment he had with Muniz, like the fact he's kind of this older, wiser head, aging like a fine wine, but also helping out the youngsters as well. And um, he kind of seems like the dad of the group. And I just, I love watching him, like being in the press box at the, um, in the first half, I get him right on that side. And I just watch him the whole time and I'm just mesmerized by him. And I'm so lucky that we've kind of, made for Marco Silva's made Fulham this kind of retirement home for and, and got the best out of these older players. Um and you know we've got a real gem there and I'm so pleased that he's having such a good spell at Fulham. And I think he's kind of feeling those effects that that the likes of Muniz are that maybe that Brazilian contingent, a lot of Portuguese speaking players at the club and obviously that's that starts with Silva and yeah, it's just um, we're it's just a joy to have him and a joy to watch him. <laughs> Yeah, Marco Silva's cottage Lucifer loving, if you will. Um, right, last one for you, Cookie. 518 Hophead says, with Traore now getting minutes, what do you expect out of him for the rest of the season? Oh, 
It's a good question. I think that the, the majority of times, and especially for the next few weeks, as he's been out for, you know, two significant injuries this season, I think a, a bench role is, is the one he'll play. The one thing I was saying yesterday is I just, I don't think there's a scenario where I wouldn't want him coming on in a game. I think if you're chasing the game like we were yesterday, his no, no opposition, just no, no opposition team wants him coming on. So if you're chasing a game, his ability to get at a fullback and get in behind is terrifying. You're looking at legs that have got 60 minutes in them and suddenly the quickest player in the Premier League comes on the pitch. No defender wants that. And then if you're trying to hold on to a game, his ability to offer a threat up the other end of the pitch while you're trying to cling on, again, fantastic. It's exactly what the opposition don't want. And I think that's what you're always trying to do in a game of football, right? You're trying to do what the, the your opposing team don't want you to do. And that, in this situation, I think he's bringing on Adama Traore because he's terrifying. Whether I think he goes into a starting berth as we get you know, deeper into the season, I would be interested to see. I don't think it's fair on Adama Traore that he gets banded as a impact sub because I think he's a much better footballer than actually sometimes he gets given credit for. And when you look past his pace, there is still a, a, a good footballer in there. Nowhere near as effective without it, but still a good Premier League footballer. You don't get to this stage of life in professional sport by just being quick. And so I, I, I would be interested to see him start. How that works, would be, I would be keen to see. But off that on that right flank, I mean, I, I just... When was the last time we had a player like him where he got subbed on yesterday and it genuinely got people excited? You know, like yeah. people saw him getting ready to come on the pitch and everyone's going, oh, hey, he's, he's coming on, he's coming on. This is exactly what we wanted. We haven't had a player like that in a very, very long time because there aren't many of those players around. Players you actually just want to see on the pitch making things happen. And so I think that's it's exciting to have him back. And I really hope that from now until May, he is fully fit and and it doesn't miss out because I think if, as long as he's fully fit, he will always, I think he'll pretty much always come on in the game. He will always be on the bench. He'll probably always get subbed on because of what he brings. And I think this now, this period here is important for us to see like, right, is, is this a player that we can look to have next season and actually kick on? Because I think this is a really good test point for us now. And I'd like to see him impact games because I think it's a shame how his past couple of years have gone in professional yeah. football, you yeah. look at the, the Barcelona move and then the move back to Wolves. And I think it's just been a tough period for him. It's obviously not gone right here. And it's a shame because on his day, oh my God, he's fun to watch. And ultimately, we're just we're going to football to have fun, aren't we? And, and he brings that fun. So I want to see him have some impact. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. I think that's where we're going to call it a day for today. So all that's left to do is to name this podcast. Cookie, what are you going with? Oh, I'm really torn. As as good as Neil Law's Dire Straits reference was, oh, boo. I think. Oh, oh, but then that's peer pressure now, JC. I don't know if I accede to it. No, no, stick to your guns, mate. Oh. Stick to your guns. No, I've bottled it. I, pain, pain. I really liked your Villa Beats Cottage, but Neil Moon is for nothing. Let's do it. I love it. It's everyone loves a Dire Straits reference. Great song. Great day for our our big man again. So let's give him his flowers. Absolutely, absolutely. Shouts out to everyone who threw in their three-word reviews as ever. Uh, all that's left for me to do is to say thank you very much to Mr. Cam Ramsey. Thanks very much, guys. Have a lovely Sunday. Yeah, thank you very much. Mrs. Bob Barker. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, it's great to have you both back. And thank you very much to Mr. Dan Cook. 
Thank you, JC. Yeah, I've been Jack Collins. This has been the Fulhamish Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope that this has helped to ease some of the pain of Saturday's defeat. We'll be back with the Thursday Club later in the week. But for now, you like.